This is Brandon Zilstra, receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, and you're listening to Training for Life. 100% I tell people straight up, the reason he is where he is and he has the opportunity is because he's the hardest working kid I've ever seen. I quit talking about it, just be about it, basically. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Training for Life podcast, where we deconstruct the minds of great teachers and great learners. Before we get started, I wanted to give a quick shout out to FNX Fitness. They're a fitness supplement company whose supplements are formulated by and for athletes. The FNX team is made up of a bunch of different athletes like Margot Alvarez, Neil Maddox, and Cole Sauger, and many others. I'm on Neil Maddox's team because one, he asked me to be, and two, because of his amazing pit bulls named Asia and Bella, and they are the primary reason I started following him on Instagram. So if you want to see two adorable gym dogs, you can follow Neil on Instagram. He's at Neil Maddox, and he's actually taking these dogs with him to regionals this year, which I think is awesome. But anyway, the podcast is brought to you in part by FNX Fitness, so I want to say thank you to them, and then also... We have a discount code that you can use if you want to try their products and get 15% off. So they have a lot of really unique stuff like a cricket protein, which I've heard is awesome. And then also they have a greens blend and a carbohydrate blend, which is designed to restore glycogen without the insulin spikes. They also have your standard BCAA and whey protein blends and stuff like that. But their stuff seems to be really clean and there's very few ingredients, which I like and I think is not typical of most supplements. So if you want to try them, you can visit fnxfit.com and the code is for the 15% off is TFL15. That's TFL15. And they're fnx underscore fit on Instagram or you can visit fnxfit.com to shop around. So now let's get on to the big show. I would like to welcome you to one of the most awesome conversations I've had around my dinner table ever. And this was with newly signed Minnesota Vikings receiver Brandon Zilstra and his college football coach Aaron Willits. And we talked about a ton of stuff, including how Brandon worked his way up through the ranks, fighting against circumstances that would discourage most people and they wouldn't even start. So one thing you'll learn about Brandon from our conversation is his mindset Obstacles don't deter him. They motivate him. Setbacks are not discouraging to him. They teach him. And opportunity doesn't scare him. It really excites him. Zilstra seems to be the modern-day embodiment of Dale Carnegie in that he doesn't criticize, condemn, or complain. It's like fighting from the bottom brings him vigor and vitality, and he is grateful for the struggle. So every day is a new chance for him to prove himself. The audio cuts out a few times in this recording. I had a few what are called dropouts, which is where the recording software basically buffers, if I'm understanding it correctly. And the system basically can't figure out how to record while it's buffering. So I've made some manual edits to help with the flow. Um, It was a rookie mistake. I'll be better in the future. But one thing that we talked about that we wanted Brandon to address that Aaron interrupted him and we never went back to was the stipulation that the CFL has that there has to be so many Canadians to Americans on the roster. There's this ratio. So he was up against this ratio to begin with. And that was why he sat on the bench for a while is because there were already too many Americans on, on the active roster or playing. So that was another battle that he had to fight. But 
Now that we've addressed that and that is out of the way, you can enjoy this episode. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. Get on the couch. <laughs> so let's start with who you are and what you do. Brand Zilstra, uh, newly signed Minnesota Viking. Awesome. And we also have Aaron Willits here. And will you state what you do for the record? Uh, Aaron Willits, husband to Marissa. <laughs> and uh, I'm the offensive coordinator over at Concordia College and was fortunate to coach Brandon for a few years. Cool. So one of my first memories of you was from the senior banquet. And I remember after everybody had left, I was like, all right, Brandon, what are you doing next? And you said, I think I'm going to go try and play football for a little bit longer. So what I'm interested in is how did you, at that time in your life, decide to kind of put all of your eggs in that basket and pursue football when probably a lot of other people were trying to like get stable jobs with a 401k and stuff like that? Um that goes way back to when I was a kid. That's something I always said I was going to do. And my mom always tells me stories about how I used to tell her about that kind of stuff. Because I remember this one, there's this one story in particular that my mom, she tells me all the time. We still laugh about it all the time. That it was a, I just got back from football practice or something like that. And I said that, I told my mom that I was going to be a professional football player when I was older. And she kind of laughed and said, but, you know, that's not actually realistic. You can either, or what do you what do you actually want to be? And I said, Mom, you should never tell people what they can and can't do. <laughs> and so we, we still laugh about that today. But um, I decided, it was always kind of in the back of my mind growing up. Because um, I was always wanted to be like a D1 athlete and never really got the opportunity. So I went to a D1 school before transferring over to Concordia. Where did you go before um, Concordia? Augustana College in okay. Sioux Falls. Okay. Um, yeah, so I went there for a year and a half and just didn't feel comfortable, didn't. Um, you know, wanted change, so I ended up going to Concordia. Um, it, it was about my sophomore year that I decided that I was actually going to pursue it, and I didn't tell many people that I wanted to do it, because you always hear p- people talk about, you know, all the haters and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, what? if people don't know what I'm doing, then I'm not going to have any of those people. Mm-hmm. I don't like to pay attention to those kind of people. So it was about my sophomore year when I decided. Um, but when it came actually to my senior year, I. I knew that if I didn't pursue football afterward, that I'd always live with regret. Um, I always felt like I had more in me than what I've ever done, and that I wanted to prove to myself as well as other people that I can play at the next level and stuff. So That is amazing, because I feel the same way about the whole, like, I feel like I'm better than what I'm really living out. And I sort of had that realization, like, after I had a baby, because... It's like superhuman what women go through and whatnot, but it's not about me today. But um, so I just totally resonate with you. So, and I totally understand the like not wanting to tell people. But so when you did start making that announcement, like I'm gonna go try and play football, did you have people saying things like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" And like maybe you should get a real job. Well, most of it was people, you know, trying to support me in a sense, but they always, people, their number one thing to me was, you know, if that doesn't make happen, like, what are you going to do? Mm. I, I always told them, like, I don't have a plan B because I think that distracts from plan A. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I learned from Will Smith. Yeah. Um, he, he's talked about that, mm-hmm. if you know what that is. Um, so that's, that's how I approached it because I figured if I did have something I could fall back on, maybe I wouldn't go the extra mile in the, the whole football world and stuff like that. So I invested everything I had in to the game 
knowing that I'd get something out of it eventually. So you said you made the decision your sophomore year and then you started verbally committing your senior year. So what did you start doing when you were in college to work towards that goal? That was trying to limit distractions in a sense. Um, always trying to stay out of trouble. Like, cause you know, you're in college, you're going to go out and do the whole party scene and stuff like that. But um, tried to really limit myself on that. And if I am going out, just making smart decisions. Um, so as far as that sense, but, you know, in like the working out sentence and stuff, I always try to push myself. Um, like the one of the, one of the biggest things I think is like self-discipline. So just having a self-discipline to make sure you're waking up early. You know, I was still trying to like exceed in the classroom and stuff like that and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that's what set you apart from other people that you played against? That you were trying to develop yourself into this well-rounded human being and other people were busy like partying and doing things like that? Maybe. Um, what, do you, what do you think set him apart from other that, people? When we have people come on campus, obviously, for us, it's a sell you know, of our program to talk about a guy that is living everybody's dream. You know, any kid that plays football, I think, at some point has the idea that they want to do it for a living. Like, why? I mean, you're playing a game. Um, but when we talk about Brandon, I always tell recruits, like, just because you're coming here, you, especially wide receivers, you're going to play wide receiver. I'm not telling you that I'm going to get you to the NFL. Like, Brandon has unique skill set to begin with, his athleticism. But 100%, I tell people straight up, the reason he is where he is and he has the opportunity is because he's the hardest working kid I've ever seen. You know, now as a coach, I didn't see him. You know, on Friday night, I didn't see him at fourth period in, you know, history class or or what exercise science class because that's his major. But, you know, the times that I did see him in the weight room and doing the extra stuff and and all those types of things, like his work ethic has always stood out um, as the reason why he excels more. He works harder than other people. And I think, you know, one thing that's always stood out for me with our interest, you know, you and I is with CrossFit is... There's that stuff of, you know, juice and steroids and that type of stuff. And then guys like Rich Froning always say, it just comes back to, I work harder than other people. And I think that has carried Brandon through in some of the conversations that we've had. Like, he continues to progress in the profession because he's willing to work harder. He's willing to self-sacrifice through self-discipline to hold himself accountable to things that he knows he needs to do to not just... To, to be the, the small school guy that takes the next step because he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. He might now after some of the success in Canada, but like he had to do all those little things to put himself in a scenario um, to be on the equivalent of some of the other guys. But the work that he did to get there then separates him because he's already working harder than everybody else. I've heard discipline defined as doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. Do you feel like you did those things? Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of a time where you did something you didn't want to do when you didn't want to do it? Well, that's lifting a lot of the time, <laughs> running, you know, choosing to eat something a little bit healthier versus a burger and fries every day. Because if I could, that's what I would eat. <laughs> I love pizza. I love burgers and fries and stuff like that. But I try to limit myself in a sense just because I know that nutrition nutrition has a huge effect on that. Um, stuff like almost what I listen to like I'm not afraid to listen to anything I still listen to whatever I want but a lot of the time if I'm in a long drive because if 
back in the cities, I had a 40 minute drive to my workouts every day. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, instead of listening to all this rap music or whatever music I'm listening to, I'm going to start listening to podcasts and life coaching. Um, and so I listen to that every day just because I feel like even if I'm not paying attention at the time, it's at least training my subconscious mind to, you know, to how to succeed and what to do and stuff like that. So just having a self-discipline of always doing that or, I don't know, stuff like, like that. you're always working kind of thing. Trying to, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you ever sacrificed your social scene in college after you made the decision to say, like, I know I need to do some things and be smarter? Do you think, compared to some of the guys that you hung out with, you sacrificed a little bit in the social scene? because of that or no uh yes and as far as i've also sacrificed or like actual relationships too because i had a girlfriend in college for three years and after i knew that i wanted to play at the next level and i knew that she wanted to stay around here and i knew i had no idea where i was going to be i actually ended that and so that was tough on me too but i figured that was a sacrifice that i felt like was going to pay off in the long run too um and just make everything easier and keep everybody happy and and it, that's not necessarily like a selfish decision. You probably were doing it for her too. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Okay. So let's flash forward. So you, all your hard work pays off and you make it to the CFL and you signed a, and if I get something wrong, which I inevitably will just cut me <laughs> off and correct me. But so you sign a two year contract with the Edmonton Eskimos and Earlier you said you sat out for 14 weeks and then there was an injury and you got called up to play. So can you just talk about like what that was like and what you were kind of feeling when you got the opportunity? Um, I don't know if you want to say relieved. Um, I was just, I was excited for my opportunity because I always knew that I could play at that level. I proved it in practice over and over and over. Um, Guys constantly on the team were, you know, rooting for me, telling me, you know, I can't wait until you get your chance. But just in the situation I was in, there was two all-star American receivers ahead of me. So I knew I wasn't going to, you know, really take over the spot because they were already defined in the CFL. So I just had to wait for my opportunity. So maybe talk about that, like the requirements of being American versus Canadian. Before we go up, we were talking about it at dinner. I got to tell the story about the two-year contract. I think that's just a great one to get into, like, his mindset. Okay. So he's presented an opportunity to sign a two-year or three-year contract. No agent, no nothing. Like, he and I are kind of bantering back and forth, and, and he's got this faith to, to trust and talk to me, at least bounce ideas off one another. I remember sitting in my office, and he was like, I was like, what are you going to do? You know, I'm just kind of there as a sounding board. You know, two-year, three-year, minutes an hour finally goes by. He's like, I'm going to sign the two-year contract, and I'm going to outplay this thing. Like, it has been in his mind, um, you know, since he made a decision to play professional football that he wanted to chase it. Mm-hmm. You know, and now here we are two years past that, and it will get to all that stuff, you know, where he's at now, but he's moved on to the next step because in his mind back then, he already knew that this was what he wanted mm-hmm. in the future. So, okay, I'm just going to write this down so that I remember to talk about it. But, um, so maybe before we even get to you being called up, one thing we can talk about is before you signed that contract, like you were living with Griffin in his grandma's house, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> and you didn't like, you didn't know how things were going to work out, you know? So I'm kind of just interested in to how you found the motivation and, 
to do something every day when you didn't have anything lined up. And then even when you're like sitting on the bench and you don't know when you're going to get the opportunity, you know, just kind of how that feels and the toll that that takes on you mentally. Um, I mean, it could be stressful at times, but I always looked at it as kind of exciting because your future is unknown and it could, you could turn out great. It could turn out bad, but I always have a belief that it's going to turn out great. Um, I don't know. I just, I just always had a feeling. I always believed in myself that good things were going to happen eventually because I was putting in all this work, like he was saying. I was putting in all all this work. I knew something was going to come of it and I knew it was going to be something good. Um, So like having the faith, because I, as soon as I graduated, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where I wanted to train. I didn't know anything about the NFL as far as how to get there because I knew it was going to be tough for me coming from a Division three offense or a Division three triple option offense. Like, I always tell people that's like as low as you can go in the football <laughs> For um, a wide receiver, yeah. Yeah, for for a receiver, it's it's you know it's tough to make it out of there. I don't know if I haven't heard of anybody else that's done it yet. Demarius Thomas, Georgia Tech. Well, I'm talking D3. Oh, that's different. Yeah. D3. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really know what to do, so I started just reaching out to people, and that was the first time I ever. Cause we were kind of talking about before you know, talking to people and reaching out to people. And I was cold calling anybody I could get a hold of just because I knew I had nothing to lose and I wanted to go, you know, all out with this. And so I ha- ended up having two different options. And then Griff told me he was down there and he's just like, you can come live with me and my grandma. You know, we're going to have to share a room. So we ended up sharing a king size bed, but you know, I don't know. It was, I just had the faith and trust that everything was going to work out eventually. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing when you were sitting on the bed, it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. I was just at that point I'm just waiting for my opportunity um, I don't know, like I said I felt like I proved myself in practice many times I saw the competition I was up against you know I watched film with all the starters and stuff and I knew what was ahead of me um, so I, I wasn't I, I don't know I was confident that so you weren't nervous you weren't like holy shit I hope I don't mess this up nothing like that you were like let's go yeah I was I was excited yeah when cool. when in the process of just that and it's interesting that sometimes these questions are popping in my head all the conversations you're going to have we're in the process don't do that <laughs> when in the process of camp did you do something athletically that you were just like hell yeah I, I don't give a shit who's here I can compete with any of this now I mean was there a time that all of a sudden it was just like did you watch somebody else and you were like okay I'm that good or you did something and you're like yep I'm on the same level like screw where you came from like I'm here and I know that I can play at this level and my work ethic is gonna take me past you people that goes all the way back to Arizona because we were working out with different NFL guys and meeting different NFL guys and so that's when I first got introduced to people in the NFL and I'd see how lazy they were when they worked out I'd see that they might be super fast but they're like as far as receiver like their routes weren't crisp they maybe dropped a ball and stuff like that. And I, was just, I, just, I would always just look at him and I'm like, how were you in the NFL? And so then that kind of, that was when my, the first time I was ever like introduced. And then I went to minicamp down in Florida with Edmonton. And you're talking to all these guys, and all these guys have bounced around NFL teams for years. Some guys have had success in the CFL and stuff. And I'm looking at all of them, and they were dropping balls. They were you know, messing up plays and stuff like that. And I was just like, okay, if these guys can make it, I know for a fact I can. And so that just, like, all this was just instilling confidence in me um, to the point when I got up to training camp and I'm going against the starters that have been there for years now. And I was routing them up and having success and jumping over guys and stuff. 
and I don't know if there was one particular play, but I would say most of that kind of stems back to minicamp because I, I don't know. I maybe dropped one ball the entire time I was there, and I was pulled aside by the GM, the head coach, the O coordinator at the time, um, all of them, and kind of asked them, like, who are you? Like, what's what's your story? Like, why, 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 why do I not know about you enough? So, I don't know, that. So, when you get called up like that, do you guys ever coach like that? Or did you, like, does anything prepare you for a time where you're just sitting there waiting for an opportunity and then there's an injury or something happens and then it's, like, your time to shine? Do you, is there any way to prepare for that? I, every coach is going to tell you, like, coaching cliche, like, coach speak is that, like, you have a role. In your role as a backup player is to work as hard as a starter because you don't know when your time is going to come. Now, mm-hmm. does every kid take that, you know, true to heart? And and that comes back, you know, to where we're at with recruiting and things like that. But, yeah, you, you want every kid to prepare like they're going to be the starter because you don't know when that opportunity is going to come. Um, but not everybody takes that to heart. Just like, you know, guys that he was training against, you know, down in minicamp or up in Edmonton, you know, had NFL experience, but they took it for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that come off as coach speak that are cliches, and Brandon's heard me say this before. Cliches are around because they're true more often than not. And uh, I mean, yeah, you, you want to coach kids to be in that scenario that when they do get a chance, that they're ready to go. I actually, you're going to probably laugh at this too, but I learned my greatest deal of patience the day I ran over my foot. <laughs> um, I remember that day. I remember that day. <laughs> um, I guess I can give a short story quick. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was working at the golf course, and it was the morning, and I had to mow, like, foot-tall grass on the side of a hill and with, like, a fly mower, which doesn't have wheels. You kind of would just whip it around. But as I was mowing, like I said, the grass was, like, dewy, so I slipped and pulled the mower over the top of my foot and kind of went through my shoe and cut off the top of my big toe pretty much. Um, so I just remember looking down, and I could, I, you know, I could see... I don't know if it's too graphic, but I can see my bones mm-hmm. um, through my shoe. And at that point, that was my sophomore year when, you know, I decided, you know, mentally that I was going to play football at the next level. And I was working my working my tail off that offseason. I was looking because we were supposed to be super good this year for football. Um, you know, Griff and I, our quarterback at the time, we were working out and we just knew we had big things ahead of us. And so I was that was the most excited I was ever for, you know, a football season to start and then to have this happen, and I didn't know how serious it was at the time. I didn't know, you know, if I would ever play football again. Um, but so then it ended up being that, you know, I just barely severed a tendon, so I had to just repair that, and I had to keep my foot elevated pretty much at all times for the next two months or something like that because um, I just needed everything to grow back in there before I could put a skin graft on. And once the skin graft was on, that was the time I had to super like really be patient because if I were to stand up or have too much blood flow down to the area, it would lift off the graph and I'd have to start over. So that was a super tough summer for me because, you know, all my friends are going out and going on the lake. And that's something that I, I, if I could be on the lake every day, I would be. But they're all doing this. They're all training for football and stuff. And I just had to sit there and watch them. And that hurts so bad. And I remember coming to practice um, I didn't even want to go to practice for the like the f- training camp or whatever. Um, it was it was too tough for me to watch, um, and so I ended up sitting out the first game. And then after I sat out that first game, I said, "There's no way I'm sitting out the next game." Because I was supposed to sit out until week f- like three or four or three whatever or four. it was. Yeah. They told me, but 
it was too hard to watch that just one game. So then I just taped up my ankle because all my muscle had deteriorated at that point. So I just had to tape up my ankle and just kind of play through the pain at that point. But I always tell people that's where I learned my greatest deal of patience is through that experience. I believe that 100%. There's, um, I feel like this is as good a time as I need to jump back to what I was talking about before. So how you were talking about like your Will Smith education and how you didn't come up with the plan B, you have plan A, that's it. I just always imagined myself as successful. There's this theory in quantum physics called emergence theory. And so, I mean, it's a theory, you know, there's nothing, but it's used a lot of times in like abundance practices and things like that, where people say you're, you create your own reality. Like whatever success you want exists out there. You're just not connected to it on the right quantum frequency or whatever. So, and it's very much um, tied to like the Big Bang theory. So the Big Bang, like we came out of nothing, you know, and like we, everything that we are, all of our energy emerged out of itself, you know. So our success is out there, you know, but it's just, it just has to emerge out of us. So we just have to connect with this frequency on a different level. There's obviously people who can explain it much more eloquently than I can. But so that's super interesting. And then another thing that I read in a different book talks about how sometimes when you commit to a success or a frequency like that, that life will present false realities to you. So you are trying to connect to your to your highest reality and your true success or like your most creative self or whatever it is. And in order to get there, you have to battle all of these different false realities, which many of them will present themselves as challenges. So one would be like you ran over your foot with a lawnmower, you know, and then you had to sit out this season. And so a lot of times that would detract people or, um, you know, say, this is not my path. I shouldn't be doing this. But then to, to keep on and keep fighting. And so that's just super interesting that both of those things, which super highly successful people use all the time, and those are the people teaching those theories. I mean, you're living it. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Um, so now at our progression of your story, you are in the CFL. You've been called up. You play for the Edmonton Eskimos, and you are doing awesome. And then you guys make it to the playoffs. And so was there a moment where you were kind of like, all right, this is it. Like, I'm doing it. Was that when you got your first shot or? Um, I would say it was after my very first catch in the CFL. Um, I caught just a little... <laughs> just, just a little two yard two yard flat route and I saw a guy in front of me and he was coming fast and just natural reaction I ended up jumping over him and I don't know I just felt like that was kind of just a statement just like like what's up yeah exactly what's up <laughs> I'm here like um, when you did the backflip at the pro day or whatever I did right? that to get attention from people well I know but <laughs> I mean so maybe that wasn't as instinctual as the what's up move but mm-hmm probably coming from a similar place so then you go into your second year your second season and you're starting and canadian espn does a story on you and you're this big star and uh what did what did that feel like did you do you feel like it changed you at all like what were you i feel like some people would be like oh my god what's going on no i haven't 
I haven't been starstruck yet, um, just because I, I always have bigger plans for myself. So I figure this is all just leading up to it. So I, I've wondered if I'm going to get starstruck at some point, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you want to do this podcast. I want to play football and we're both, yeah. you know, living our realities now. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it as anything extraordinary yet. This is just, this is you're just, just doing you I'm to just get doing what, doing what I do, doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's no different from anybody else doing what they want to do. Right. Ended two stories. The first one in fall camp or whatever, yep. and they write the names on the board of people that are supposed to talk, and like nobody had really ever interviewed you. And I remember you telling me that since nobody had ever interviewed you, you never looked at the board. And all of a sudden, you like sat down next to Bowman or somebody, and they're like, "Yeah, I just had to answer questions about Brandon Zilster or something." And you're like, "What are you talking about?" And then they were supposed to be looking for you, or somebody came down and was like, "Yeah, TSN's here to interview you." And you're just like, "What?" you never looked at the board I think that's just yeah. a funny story not that you're like starstruck by that but just I mean you were ready to do the interview but you just it wasn't there it wasn't presented to you well at that point I still felt like I hadn't proved anything so I still felt right. like a nobody so I wasn't expecting to have a story about me yet maybe um, yeah so I, I just I, I wasn't expecting that yet yeah that was like the newcomer thing yeah. in fall camp so do you feel like that still like you haven't proved anything and that's what I tell myself all the time and you can I'm sure I told him um, because you know after I signed I had congratulations texts from you know hundreds of people and my phone was blowing up and it's like to a majority of the people you know I just said thanks you know I appreciate the support but like to the ones that you know are actually there and the ones that know you yeah that really know me I said don't congratulate me yet I haven't done anything yet Mm -hmm. like in my eyes once I'm starting once I'm actually contributing to the team once I'm actually a player, once I actually make the team, you know, then you can give me a congratulations. But in my eyes, I haven't done anything yet. And I've heard a lot of people say, like, you know, you need to celebrate the small victories and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's just not in my mindset. And maybe maybe I should be a little bit more, but I don't know, after I signed, I didn't go out and celebrate. I didn't, you know, I just kept doing what I was doing. I went to workouts the next day and didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Um because I'm, I'm just waiting until I consider myself making it. Right. So when will you have made it? We'll see. <laughs> okay. I have to show you first. <laughs> okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about adversity. So one of the playoff games that you played in, which I just need to state for the record, that we were recalling the playoff game and who Brandon played against. And I said... The Red Blacks. I wouldn't be able to tell you which province or city they're from, but I knew that they were called the Red Blacks. And Aaron thought it was somebody else, and I was right. So I got a Canadian football thing right. And now Correct. the entire universe knows about it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but, okay, so that game was super snowy. It was. It had snowed a bunch, like, all morning or afternoon or whatever. I mean, there was, like, several inches on the field that they had to remove, and then it just kept snowing and snowing and snowing so what I'm interested in is how do you react to adversity like that like if you see that situation what's your attitude like um that you can't make excuses for it one of the biggest things I always say is control what you can control and you can't control the weather so you know deal with what's kind of given to you Mm -hmm. so do you feel the same way I this whole podcast is about 
I, I don't know if he would say it's his life motto, but from the outside as a guy that coached him and his whole approach to everything is controlling what he can control. He's going to maximize what he does, and his belief is that what he does is eventually going to get him where he want to go, wants to go, and it is 100% on a daily basis. He controls what he can't. He so, doesn't worry about what he can't, whether it's on the field, whether it's in his personal life, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's you know contracts, whatever it is. But I mean, like you personally, what's your attitude towards, I mean, you've obviously <laughs> had some poor weather here for spring ball, so is yeah. that your same attitude? Yeah, I... I think so. I mean, that's the the best that you can do. I think you just you deal with things and you roll with the punches. You know, obviously there's certain things that become frustrated with it, but yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. Well, I first all the things that you can. Yeah, I first kind of heard that when I was at Augustana. There's a couple coaches that said, you know, there's two things you can control in life: your attitude and your effort. And that's something they'd always kind of talk to us about. But you know, I got to Concordia too, and I hear Coach Wells say the same thing. And after you keep hearing it, you're just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's actually break this down. What does this actually mean? What can I and what can't I control? And once you really understand that, you know, life becomes less stressful. Did you do those evaluations that you do with your guys with him when he no. was? No. He he does these evaluations yeah, now, so. and maybe you should talk about it, the different points that you measure. Well, so I took it's kind of the defense's evaluation, but I've kind of taken an extra little bit of a step and I have the conversation with the guys, but you rank yourself one through 10 and it's a personal evaluation from the player's perspective of their attitude, their overall effort, um, their off season prep, their film prep, how coachable they are. Um, so get the guys to rank themselves one through 10. Obviously, you know, the goal is to get everybody to be a 10, you know, that's the controlling what you can control. And, and when they don't rank themselves that you start to ask the question of why, is it because you're not committed to the sport or, you know, inevitably you're going to get a kid that ranks himself an eight or nine just because he doesn't think that ranking himself a 10 means he, he shouldn't do that. Like nobody's a 10. Well, you're either doing it or you're not. Um, but it, it comes back to these are the things that you can control. And if we're all 10s in these, uh, so one of the conversations came back, it was a running back and, uh, you know, and there's another program in our conference that gets transfer kids. And I basically told him, I said, I can't control that that kid that's lined up across from you is a, is a Division One transfer. And regardless of what you think or not, coming out of high school, there's a lot of people that said he's a hell of a lot better football player than you are. But when you rank your film prep a 7 and not a 10, then you're giving him an extra advantage that's within your control. Like, you can't control him. But, like, every little thing that you don't make a 10 yourself, you're just giving somebody else an advantage on you. So I've tried to really hone in the running backs on even more controlling what you can control the attitude the effort the preparation how coachable you are you know are you taking those cues you know appropriately and if we manage those things you know and the coaching you want to win every game but it goes deeper than that i think that's why brandon's sitting in our kitchen right now so obviously there's a personal relationship there's an investment that i made back then in him and i'd like to thank all of our guys um but if we can control these things we're going to give our best effort. And if that's not good enough, then so be it. Some days you don't win every game. But if there's something lacking there, that's frustrating to lose when there's other things that you could have done personally. Right. That's a good segue into my next question. Okay, and here is where I ask Brandon how he reacts to not making the play to not being the hero and not winning big. I brought up a fancy play that Aaron called against a game against St. John's, which is a fairly large rival. 
And this was during Brandon's senior year. And the quarterback ends up pitching the ball to Brandon, and he's supposed to chuck it into the end zone, you know, presumably for a touchdown. But what ends up happening is that he throws an interception and that they lose. And this is his response. I don't know. I Because I'm, I'm super competitive. I want to win in everything I do, too, like more than anything. And when I lose, I can, I can be bitter sometimes, but that's something I'm always trying to get better at. But, you know, that's something that I've learned over the years is that once a play happens, you know, you can't take it back. You have to move on. Like, you have to be more mentally tough than that. Because if you let that affect, you know, how you play later on, it's going to throw your whole game off and stuff. So it's just learning how to flush that out of your system quick and just remaining with a positive attitude and stuff. Mm -hmm. As corny and cliche as that sounds. Oh, it does, man. And I got the opposite approach because I'm the coach. Um, oh, I remember 100%. That must have been the last game of the season, right? No, that was early I, on. Uh, I thought she was going to bring up the Hail Mary that we caught to... God, and didn't catch. But the, and that's yeah. kind of where I was going. Like, you know, so my job as a coach is to put the guys in favorable scenarios. And he's going to say probably that, you know, it wasn't a great pass. He lobbied for the play. He didn't make the play. Like, I put him in a shitty scenario. Mm-hmm. You, know, you said that to me that, after the that's game. That's my job is to put the guys always in a, in, a, in the best possible scenario that they can to be successful. And I felt like I didn't do that for him. Uh, I coach the play in a hell of a lot more detail now when we actually do it. I haven't called it because the play still scares the shit out of me, um, you know, to make that call. But even in that game, I can tell you that, like, Brandon moved forward. You know, we have opportunities at the end of the game because he catches a Hail Mary. It gets called back. Um, you know, we can blame Coop for a lot of things. <laughs> Coop, I love you if you're listening to this. But, um, you know, so so just in that, that sequence, like Brandon's approach and philosophy comes out because, you know, we don't score the touchdown there, we throw the interception. We get an opportunity to come back, we throw a Hail Mary, Brandon catches it in the end zone, goes up. We get an offense pass interference, it comes back. Very next play, we throw another Hail Mary to try and get us down again so that way we're even closer because we took the 15-yard penalty. Brandon goes up, catches that one. I believe you land on your shoulder, right? Separated it. Yeah, separates his shoulder. Lines back up so that way we can try to throw another Hail Mary into the end zone. I mean, this kid just moves forward and he's a competitor. Um, you know, and he's moved past He moved past it the minute it was done. I still haven't moved past that play. Mm-hmm. Like, I still tell Coach Mr. all the time, like, I ain't never calling a reverse pass again. Like, it's just, it's not my thing. I shouldn't call it. And, he, and, you know, in his mindset, he's always like, just what you said. You got to move forward. That play was dead there. You know, we learned from it as a football team that year. I learned from it as a coach. Obviously, I coach it better about if it's not there, throw it away. What are your other options and those types of things? Maybe that I didn't do with you. At least I feel guilty that I didn't do those things. Um, but, yeah, that one is a uh, – thanks for bringing that up. Well, well, I just – that one really stuck with me because obviously I didn't remember, like, the – the Hail Marys and whatever you're talking about, but you, when you were talking to me about it after the game, and I'm sure you were pretty emotional about it because that's the only time you're emotional is after you lose a football game. But I remember you said specifically to me, like, I put him in a bad spot. This is my fault. Like, that, I never should have done that to him. This is all on me. Well, I actually remember that same conversation. You told me that after the game. And I was just like, how can you put that on yourself? I'm the one that threw the ball. Like, because you, you told me that you didn't coach it up enough that if I didn't, if I didn't see Bounty in the end zone, that I should have just thrown it out or ran it. But I was so big on making the big play at that point because we were down that I was just going to go up and give Bounty a chance because I like his chances over all these little DBs. But he was triple covered back there. So I, I don't know if I were to go back and maybe think twice about it. But 
like you said, like you just have to get a learning experience out of it. And I mean, you did, and you learned it, and mm-hmm. you're attempting to move on. So two, maybe, maybe I call it reverse pass this year or something like that. Yeah. I had one of Edmonton. <laughs> so two things about that. One, Ben Bergeron, who's a big CrossFit coach, he owns an affiliate, but he's coached some of the most successful CrossFit athletes that have gone to the games and stuff. And he says, "You, there's no such thing as failure. You either win or you learn, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So when somebody was like, what's your favorite failure? They asked him that question because a lot of times you learn from failures or that failure in itself leads you to another opportunity or something. And he was like, I don't understand the question. Like I've never had a failure where I didn't learn something or whatever you win or you learn and then the reason that i want to talk about that the the devastating plays and all the next question is going to be if you've had any in the cfl but the reason is because how you handle that like character is shown in how you handle adversity and troubling situations because it's really easy to be a stand-up guy when things are going really well but you can really tell how somebody is when things are going poorly like brooke wells when she didn't even podium and she placed lower this year, I think, than she did last year at the CrossFit Games. And her coach came up to her and was like, I'm sorry, whatever. And she's like, no, I'm good. I'm a better athlete and I know it. Like, I didn't, it doesn't matter about my podium placement or my placement and whatnot. So that's the reason that I wanted to ask those questions. But so have you had any just like heartbreakers in the CFL? Um, I mean, there's definitely plays I've dropped I've dropped touchdowns. I've dropped balls that I didn't think I should. But like you said, you're talking about failing. Um, and you said, you know, you, you learn from it. There's this one, because I listen to a ton of motivational speakers, like literally on the daily. And there's one that this guy talks to his kids every day when they come home from school. And he always asks them, what you fail at today? You know, and then what you learn from that? And I just thought that was super, super cool because then, if you accept failure like that, it makes it not as painful to you. It makes it way more acceptable, um, and it doesn't like destroy you in a sense. Because mm-hmm. so many people are so afraid of failure, and like that prevents them from doing so many different things. Mm-hmm. Like so he's that, scared to run that play because yeah. he thinks he might fail again. So if you try it again, coach, <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen. And like, look what happened. Brandon did the thing, and then he's in the. He plays with freaking the Vikings right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. It worked out. Um, okay, so I want to talk about some lessons that you've learned. So what is the biggest lesson that you learned playing college football? And then what's the biggest lesson you've learned playing in the CFL? Playing college football? It actually goes back to the injury, just patience. Um I mean, I, I can bring up many different instances and stuff, but patience that, I don't know, you just, just wait because if, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, good things are going to happen. Um, and so that goes up, you know, I had a shot with the NFL, or I had a shot with the Vikings before I signed up with Canada, but some things went down, you know, I had to put my, my dream on hold for two more years. So I was just like, you know what, you've been through adversity like this before, you know, you know how to handle this. So like that for me I mean it was tough obviously because I had that I had something so close to me that I've you know been working so hard for and all of a sudden just like that it was taken away from me so that like it definitely hurt but I was just like you know what you've you've learned patience from you know I have scars to remind remind myself all the time and you know people kind of talk about that but I don't know 
So patience is the big one from college. Patience is definitely the big one from college. Is that the same thing in the CFL or have you Um, adjusted? The CFL, yeah. um, We were talking about the biggest things we learned, right? Because I went off on a little tangent. Yeah. So biggest lessons you learned like in college, playing college football as opposed to playing in the CFL. And they might be the same. They might be different. So as far as CFL, I might go with, we kind of talked about before self-discipline um, and just self-discipline and just like self-responsibility. Um, and I'll go with self-discipline first in the sense that, you know, if you take the extra time to study the plays, um, spend more time, you know, with your coaches, asking questions, quizzing the older guys and stuff like that, you're going to learn that much more and it's going to start showing on the field. So like this, the big thing from last year and this year, I learned about just the just learning about like the little details of the game because the little details get you you know more separation and stuff on the football field mm-hmm. and so then I started studying because uh, I saw how much work our quarterbacks put in like they would have to go through they're all their, they'd sit in the quarterback room or the the offensive room every once in a while and they talk about with every coverage they saw all their different reads and they'd go you know it's here to here to here to here to check down and if it's cover two it's here to here to here to check down and so I was just like, wow, they know that much, and I only know this much. I need to get on their level. So then I started studying more what they do. Um, like you were kind of talking about before, their drops, how their drops match up, um, their reads and stuff like that. And once I started understanding that, I understood the defenses so much more, which made me as a player, like, before I lined up, or as I lined up, I'd kind of look around, and I'd be like, okay, I know exactly where he's about to go with the ball. I know it's not coming to me, so I'm going to run this a little bit different to try to pull this guy to open up the guy underneath me. So just understanding of the game, and that was just through self-discipline of learning, taking the extra time to learn what they're thinking. So it's going to, I don't know, it helps me or it at least helps my team right. get open more. So that makes me think of this, and Aaron and I have had this conversation before where we talk about like the 1%. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the, the 1% things that you can do to separate yourself from somebody else you know it might be a lot easier to separate yourself from people in division three and then once you get to the cfl maybe it's a little bit harder to separate yourself because it's more competitive and now you are in the big show and so what are some of these like one percent things and i mean maybe it's just kind of what you said but what are some of the one percent things that you can do to separate yourself i mean is it just going to continue to be the details or um well, as, in, as far as the football sense, it's, I just, like he said before, I just like to outwork people. So when I was in the CFL, I was always, I always made sure I was the first one on the, on the practice field. And I'd get out there with um, one of my good receiver friends or my quarterback, and I'd just sit out there and catch balls. Even if it's not doing anything, I'm at least catching while I'm out there. Because a lot of time I was out there a half hour before, like, you know, many, like, the starters and stuff came out. So I'm at least catching, you know, 50 to 75 more balls of practice than them. Um, and I feel like that always helped me. Or if it's, I always stretch or roll out before I go to bed. So it's just making sure my muscles are right for the next day. So like that's as far as the football sense, just making sure I'm right. Um, but otherwise, me listening to all these motivation, um, all these life coaching, um, constantly training my subconscious mind to do more and just be ready, be positive, be responsible, be... Uh, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think there's kind of two different ways to look at it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just read this book on success. and What's it called? Um, well, it's 
You probably don't want to read it because it's... I'm not a reader anyway. <laughs> it's called Outliers and it's by Malcolm Gladwell. But he basically says that anybody who is successful cannot contribute their success just to hard work. So it was actually like demotivating for me to read. But there's obviously a lot of other studies that show that grit is like really um, beneficial and whatever. But in his book, he said things like, so take some of the most successful people in the tech industry, like Bill Gates, and then there's this one programmer guy that I don't remember what his name is, or even Steve Jobs. They're, all their birthdays are within like three months of each other within the same year or something. And that's because they were all given these unreal opportunities to be put in a room where they could program or learn to code and do it basically unlimited whereas everybody else had to program in a very different way like back in the day you used to have to program on these cards and then you would take these cards up to a processor and run it through and then if there was anything wrong with it it would spit out an error report and then you have to go back and whatever but he had access to this brand new telecommunications thing where he could program right at a computer and then it would run on the screen and he would know if he did it right or whatever so he was able to get in hours and hours and hours and hours of practice and that's what this guy says and there's again multiple studies that show in order to be really really good or really successful at something that you need at least 10,000 hours Mm -hmm. of practice and so he said that you need that but then these other people were given other opportunities so I feel like by you catching those passes and stuff like that, that that's you getting your 10,000 hours in. It's funny because me and my brother talk about that quite a bit. Um, and I actually put out a tweet and it was probably earlier this year or beginning of last year. And I said, my tweet was just, I wonder where I'm at with my 10,000 hours. Mm. Cause that's something I'd love to know. Um, cause it like, cause it, they say 10,000 hours is like the mastery or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, because of all the times that I've ran routes or lifted or stretched or did all this mental training and stuff, I just wonder where I'm at and all that. And my brother and I talk about that all the time. That's like the one question, I don't know, we just are dumbfounded by. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because the, the people who he talks about in this book, these programmers, it's a lot easier for them to measure their time because they would say, I, the computer lab was open for students between 6 and 9 p.m. and I went every day. Mm-hmm. And then on weekends it was open and I would be there for 10 hours a day. So they would easily get like 30 hours a week. And then they said, I did that year round for four years and then they can do the math and figure out how many. And a lot of times they had 10,000 hours by the time they were 21 or 24. So then they start up Microsoft when they're 21 or they drop out of Harvard in order to do whatever they're going to do. And they're already better than half, you know, 90% of the people who have, are in the same field or just graduated from them or whatever. So probably a little bit harder to measure the hours. And Well, for me, it's five minutes here, 20 minutes <laughs> here, an hour here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just do a little fun question and it's for Aaron, and I'm wondering what your favorite memory of coaching Brandon Zilstra is. Oh, man. Um, On the spot. I think one of my favorite moments of coaching Brandon, because um, I don't know if I've ever contributed a ton to like the actual skill set of playing wide receiver, but um, you'll probably laugh and be like, damn it. But uh, when Brandon came to Concordia, he was better than a lot of guys. Um so just naturally hold a better guy to a higher standard, right? And Brandon wanted to be held to a higher standard. You can see that. Um, but I believe he's learning new offense. He's learning, you know, to deal with new coaches, all those types of things. 
Uh, and we got in the habit of like when Brandon made a mistake, uh, I would go up to him and I would ask him, you know, do you want the coach speak or do you want the dad speak? Uh, and coach speak would, I'd choose ass and be like, you can't do that. Or like, that's wrong. And dad speak was, I'd pat him on the butt and tell him how good of a football player he is, you know, and then it was kind of a running joke that, uh, what would he pick? It, it, it depended. Depended, depended on the That's time. What I did. <laughs> yeah, depending on what he did, it really did. I mean, I there'd be times wrong, that he'd come back. Um, you know, but even for Brandon early on, but then like later on, you know, when I walk by and be like, "What? Which which conversation do you want?" He'd be like, "Yeah, I know what I did." Just the fact that he self recognized, like, "Yeah, I know what I'm gonna say." Like, mm-hmm. then I can walk off. And there's other kids that's been there, but I just remember there was one time Dad speak and I pat him on the butt. You're a really good football player, Brandon. Turn around, walk away. Point was made. You know, whether you chew his ass or whether you, you know, talk to him in a sarcastic tone or whether you just ask me, hey, do you know what you did? Um, the point was made. There's an opportunity for growth. Learn from our mistake. Move forward. You know, be the definition of coachable. Don't do the same mistake, you know, twice. Um, you know, but that was always fun. Um, you know, when you start to ask the question, one of the favorite moments, coaching Brandon, um, I was super excited when we talked about your first play. I mean, in the CFL, a little boot pass, you're coming back underneath the line of scrimmage, you jump over, and that made me think of, and then when you asked, like, one of the things that stands out is when you jumped over the dude from St. Olaf in the end zone on the reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at creating playlists for our guys this year, and I just go back other years and pull out some things, and I was like, I can't put reverses of Brandon Zilstra on the film that we have now. Like, guys can't do this. Like, he jumps over one, and then there's another play. Uh, I don't even know who it was against. Like, you take a reverse. And you literally run all the way across the field this way. And then you, like, stair step all the way back across the field the other way. It's like a 65-yard run. But you probably ran 140 yards and basically around everyone. It made, like, 11. He was, like, really good. And he's like, yeah, yeah, he was. Like, why didn't you throw him the ball more? Mm. Just oh, like, you know Damn. I lobbied for it. Right, right. That's How many times I told you to pass it more? Part, part of your patience, right, dealing with me. So what is something that you do every day that benefits your life or that makes you a better human or a better athlete um i told you i listen to like life coaching stuff um guys i listen to repeatedly are les brown um he's somebody who i feel like has definitely shaped who i am today and a lot of my beliefs um i talked about will smith he's one of my like if i were to meet anybody it would be one of those two people for sure just because they both have a huge influence on my life um I don't know. I just like to I just like to study successful people and how they think, how they talk, how they portray themselves, you know, how they instill their confidence in others, how they walk around with their confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there'll be a lot of times when I don't know, like before games, I'd watch stuff on Kobe Bryant, and I don't watch his plays and stuff. I just watch I watch his interviews because that's just somebody who knows who he is. He knows what he believes. And there's nothing you can do or say that's going to change his mind. Like, that's who he is, and he's going to show you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that's... And like, when I work out a lot of the time, too, I don't listen to music. I'll listen to motivational stuff. Like, today I was listening to... Do you know who Art Williams is? He's, he's a business owner. He started his own um, life insurance company, but it, he was giving a simple graduation speech, and it was this, the simple message of just do it. And he's just like, you know, all these people talk about promotion. I'm really going to take off now. My life's going to be great. And he goes, sweet, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just like, just shut up and do it. Um, but he, he would bring up all these different examples. And at the end of every single thing, whether it was good or bad, he's just like, well, just do it then. 
like quit talking about it just be about it basically there's a do you know who john wilborn is Mm, no it sounds familiar yeah he played in the nfl for the broncos for nine years or something so but then he got brought in to be the person who developed the crossfit football program so they do like athletic training crossfit style athletic training for football players and then he runs a thing called Power Athlete, and uh, he probably does like his own programming and stuff like that for them. But uh, he either designed the t-shirt or he is affiliated with someone who did this t-shirt. I think it's him, anyway. Could be Cameron didn't, Hayes. Didn't, didn't play for the Broncos. Eagles, Chiefs, Patriots, but... Hype guy. Yeah. <laughs> Hype um, guy. So, but anyway, he is featured on his Instagram, a shirt that says no one cares work harder mm-hmm. which is really cool and then so your guy kobe i don't remember who was talking but it was somebody that played with him and said that i you know i went to the gym to shoot around a little bit before a game and i've seen that oh too. and then kobe yep. comes in and he just stays there until that guy leaves and that was like before a game he was in yeah there doing a full workout you know for two hours or something like that and then yeah and then he just more of the story well he just the his like competition or maybe it was even was it somebody from his same team no, somebody it was, who was playing against that. Night. Yeah, and so Kobe just stayed in there and shot around until that guy left, and the guy was kind of like, "Why didn't you leave?" And he goes, "Because you were there. I was just waiting for you to leave." Yeah, because they said they said that he had he ended up dropping twenty or thirty points, even though he basically played a full game before that before that um, before that game through that workout or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then have you heard Will Smith's treadmill story? Oh, yeah, I will die, mm-hmm. I will it's die like, before I get off or whatever. Yeah, he basically says, like, I can get on a treadmill next to the fastest, most athletic runner in the world, and I'm either going to win or I'm going to die on that treadmill. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. Um, okay, so those are some of the things that you're doing to make your life better. So, Aaron, what are some of the things that you do as a coach consistently to make your players' lives better? Can we go back to Brandon's moment about me and give me a (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I could talk about that then. Sure. Um, As far as, because he does more than just coaching football. Like you you talked about, he's instilled a ton of stuff in me that I still carry with me today. Um, He develops relationships with players. He, he, oftentimes relates stuff to life because some people might understand it better. Or you'll relate life stuff to football. He just makes a way so you can comprehend it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% agree with that. Because Aaron, being married to him, I've noticed that he just understands things. Like a lot of times I feel like I need to talk through it and explain it. And I guarantee you in his brain, he's like, I know all of this. Everything that she's saying to me, I already know this. I don't understand why we need to have this conversation. But so, I mean, I, I totally agree. And he does the opposite like if he gives you guys life metaphors he gives me football metaphors Mm -hmm. so that I can understand things that way any ideas the same things that we've talked about here I try to get everybody to understand control what you can control you know be your best self Um, efficiency there's there's another one you're missing I can't think of what it is Uh, as soon as you say it you know we talk about being do your job being being efficient you know, on the offense and what that means for us on first down, second down, third down, fourth down. But, you know, find the lowest common denominator. The simplest, easiest, you know, know way to do things is probably the best. So it's probably the most efficient. Like, operate that way. And that's self-discipline. It's all those things. And I try to talk to those guys about 
how football relates to life, how life relates to football. You know, she doesn't believe me sometimes that I even bring my wife up and family and how that, you know, what it's going to be like. I never said I didn't believe you. What it's going to be like when you get out in the real world and how that football message relates to the next step in your life, whether it's, you know, playing pro ball or whether it's being an accountant or you, you know, told me kids. you told me that you cry when you talk about me and I didn't believe that. I don't know that I said I cried. You I did too tell I me was that. Emotional. No, um, you said that you cried and I was like, Well why wouldn't you have told me that? You know I love that shit. And then you <laughs> that's when I knew you were lying. Yeah, just trying to and it's one of those things that comes up all the time with football, especially in today's society. And I don't want to go down that road on concussions and things like that. But what saves the game is that football is deeper than that. Football teaches life skills um, that you can and can't always get from other things. Um, so I try to coach in that philosophy that when they're done playing football, the lessons they learned are going to be greater than just like, I block this, I block that, or I take this step. It's going to be something that carries and impacts than being a father, being a husband, being a adult, a responsibly engaged adult, the Concordia motto, when they leave. Right. Um, I think he, he hit the nail on the head. He said that you try to build relationships with people, and you yeah. said that's number one in your coaching philosophy. Have to. Yeah, kids got to trust you. But you said you thought of one other one? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I 100% agree with what you were just saying, how, you know, you take the, the skills you learn from football to the rest of life, because I've heard that many times. But the one that... I didn't always I like I felt like I understood at the time but I understood it at a much deeper level later and I still kind of think about is the one where you say you know if something happens you know remove yourself from the situation then look at it again from like an outside perspective um, and that's something when you'd always tell me I'd be like yeah 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 shut up <laughs> but like growing growing more um, later in life I felt like I understood that a lot better and to a much deeper level to the point where I try to find an understanding for everything. Um, try to be responsible for everything, for, for like your actions. Like I believe you are where you are because of how you think and act and all that kind of stuff. And you know, if something bad happens to you, accept it. Just know that you put yourself in that situation. Um, I feel like that kind of ties together. Yeah, it always comes back to self-assurance, you know, self-awareness. You know, understand who you are and everything around you. It's the realist, I think, in me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Aaron and I are an interesting combination. We balance each other well because... Um, and I have just recently, like I said, had this realization since I had my baby. And that, like, no, no, no. I, like, I am not reaching my potential. Like, I could do so many more things. Like, if I can do that and, like, raising this baby is this easy, like... Oh my God, I can do so many other things. Mm-hmm. And so I've had all of these ideas. I'm definitely like a creative spirit. So I'm constantly thinking and dreaming of all of the things that I can do. And Aaron's like, okay, we can do those things, but like we can't live in this house if we want to do those things or whatever. So it's um, been an interesting challenge to be recently experiencing this like dreamer, high achiever part of myself. And then also having the realist in that and it's a hundred percent an advantage because I would probably be like homeless on the street if I didn't have that but um it I try not to be negative about it you know like you're crushing my dreams or whatever because that's not what he's doing but it comes back to what we talked about like whenever you take a a step you know you're gonna learn from it but with her and what she wants to do like I don't want to be homeless. 
So like, what what are the right steps to get where we want to go? So it's not crushing dreams. It's just you know, there's necessary steps. You know, there's work that needs to be put in in those those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm reading a book right now that I think that you would like called Psycho Cybernetics, and it talks about how it's all about the self image and how you can program yourself for success. Are you familiar with this book? No, but it sounds like what I'd. What you'd be interested in? Yeah, so it's like cybernetics is the the study of like machines and and systems and how they function. And this book in particular talks about how you have like a creative mechanism and a success mechanism and that you can program your self-image and your success mechanism to... Um, live your best life to achieve your greatest success not not achieve success in that like you want notoriety and, and things like that like you don't want to become successful in that sense except that you program it for success and that you are doing things every day that are good and excellent and and you achieve success that way and you define what success is for yourself so I'm only like a chapter in but I'll let you know if it's good or not well I'm not a reader that's something if you tell me about it I just YouTube the audio book hopefully they have it <laughs> Or do you listen to audiobooks though? Yes. Okay. I would. Um, so you could do that. And there's like, Audible is super expensive, but you can get apps through the library. You would have to get a library card, which I think is one of the smartest thing people can do. But you can get, I mean, like hundreds, maybe thousands of audiobooks for free through these um, apps and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I just have one last question for you. Um so, as a newly signed Vikings receiver, what are you hoping to learn? Just learn from the older guys. Well, again, there's football and there's life. So, as far as the football guys, I just want to learn the details. Because I've been away from the American football game now for two years. And granted, I still know, I still remember everything from college, obviously. And Canada, a lot of Canada relates to the American football. But um, just learning everything they do. But they're, you know, the top 1% of the world. So they're going to know this much more. So I'm excited to learn all that. Um, excited to... Um, I don't know. As far as life... Um, I don't know. I'm excited to build relationships with everybody there. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the one thing I think is super cool about football is you get people from all backgrounds all over the United States... Um, and just learning how everybody got to where they were, um, you know, op- different obstacles that they had to go through, different you know success stories they have. Mm-hmm. I think it's all super cool. Um, That's part know. of the reason why I wanted to do a podcast is because I feel like everybody has a really interesting story, you know, and everybody can teach you something, but you just have to take the time to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, Aaron, did you have any other questions that you wanted to ask Brandon? Yeah, just. Uh... And I'm trying to find it right now, and I probably won't be able to. But like you sent me some motivational stuff before that you and your brother use, and and things like that. Are there, you know, bits of information on a daily basis that you go to, um, you know, as a reminder for you on what you need to do in the day? Uh, you know, what or what is something that you go back to, whether it be a quote, whether it be a talk, whether it be a certain YouTube video that, like, when you fall off the bandwagon, like, let's say you do. Maybe eat a bad meal or something like that. But when you get away from self-discipline of moving forward, like how do you get back on track? Like what is something that you go to on a regular to to get you back centered, going straight ahead? 
there's multiple different things. Um, one is the relationships I've built with certain people. So uh, I talked about earlier accountability people. So Bryant Mitchell, a receiver up in Edmonton, um, who is, I consider now one of my best friends, if not me, my, or my best friend. Um, I've only known him for two years and I was invited to be his best man at his wedding. So like you can tell how fast that relationship kind of um, ensued. But either him or talking to my younger brother who's 21 at Mankato playing football there. Um, if I ever felt like I was, I mean, any kind of slump or anything, you know, I just will call them, FaceTime them, and just talk. Mm-hmm. And because both those guys are going to hold me accountable, they're not going to feel pity for me. They're going to tell me what's up, what do I, what do I need, or what do I, yeah, what do I need to hear and stuff like that. So that's that's one thing. Um, two, I have um, I had downloaded two different apps that get sent to my phone every day, just a motivational quote. So I make sure I read those every morning as long as I have my time hop too. Mm. Um, Do I have to explain what time hop is? I know what time hop is. Well, for any kind of listener, it's just, it pulls information from, you know, your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter of different stuff you tweeted or liked and stuff or retweeted in the past. But so a while ago when I, when I decided I wanted to play football, I went on my Instagram, Twitter and you know, I went through and deleted a bunch of pictures that I feel like might not be appropriate for the future, as all as well as I I knew that I needed I, I wanted motivation stuff like around me all the time because I've you know law of attraction stuff like that. So I started following all these different inspirational quote or accounts and stuff, and so that's just something when I scroll through my Instagram or Twitter, you know, like every third tweet is something positive or something inspirational and stuff like that, and then for a while. I would screenshot it and so in my phone now I have that's probably what I sent you I have a folder of 300 some pictures of just motivational quotes or text somebody sent to me or different pictures or something like that that motivates me or I found inspiring or something like that so I have a folder for that and so I always go through my time hop every day because it brings up stuff from the past because I have all that in my phone but you know I, I still go through that every once in a while Mm-hmm. probably once every four months I might go through there and just kind of scroll and it just it just lights a fire again in you but um, I get to see a lot of that again just scrolling through that time hop because it's just like you know four years ago today you retweeted this you know, five years ago today you retweeted this so um, that and then the last thing is I'm sure I don't know if you might know about it too but like vision boards and stuff like that because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm big about that and so I created a vision board just just stuff I want in my life, stuff I want to get, um, you know, a house, my job, some cars and boats and all that kind of stuff. And I made like a little collage and put that as my background on my phone. So whether, again, subconsciously or consciously, I see that mm-hmm. every single day because it's on my lock screen and like my actual background. So then, you know, if I open up my phone and I see a bunch of things and it's just like, I don't know, it's... It's just a little reminder that says, I want a boat one day, or I want to play in the NFL one day, exactly. or whatever. So I, what am I going to do today to make that dream come true? The more it just becomes like, you're supposed to have it. Like, mm-hmm. And if you don't get it, it almost be like, you know, what, what the heck happened? Right. Yeah, why like, not? Yeah. Um, some of the things that I think about like that, um, like if I'm working towards something or whatever, I try to think in terms of very 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 baby steps because although like you begin with the end in mind 
you know, but it's like, what can I do today to move me towards that goal? You know, because you're not going to get every single thing mm-hmm. done in one day, but what does success look like? It looks like 10,000 hours of practice, which is one hour here, 10 minutes of mobility before bed or whatever. So trying to do just one thing in order to push you forward. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of a lot of times I think for people it's just like doing the thing you know like you said just do it a lot of people say I want to do this or I want to do that and then they convince themselves not to do it and then a year goes by and it's either been too late or you know they'll start it in someday and it's like if they would have started a year ago they'd already be a year in so I bet when you're going through your time hop and you're seeing like four years ago I was doing this like look how far I've come in four years are you kidding me I mean there's been times too and it's normally happened on when I have a lot of time to myself so when I was driving, um, what, the first time I ever did it was driving even back from Arizona, you know, in the three months that I've spent on the journey, um, I was kind of reflecting back on a little bit of stuff I've done because I was in the car for 26 hours by myself. But then again, the next year, driving back from San Diego, which is 29 hours, um, you know, it's a lot of alone time with yourself. And I did a lot of like self-reflection back then and just think about everybody that's kind of help me along the path everybody that's everybody that I've met all the experiences I've had the cool stuff I've done the bad stuff I've done I just have a huge like self-reflection type thing I always think that's something that's super cool and super motivational inspirational emotional Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something I probably need to do again soon but I don't know it'll just come to me one day and I'll just sit back and I'll just kind of reflect on everything around me and how far I've gotten how far I want to go yet Mm -hmm. The whole, the gratitude part of that where you think about like who helped you and whatever. Ben Bergeron does that where he, part of his gratitude practice is he writes thank you cards every single day. And maybe he only does one a day, but it's it's to anybody. He might thank like somebody for giving him the opportunity to do this, or maybe it's his wife, or maybe it's his employees, or whatever it is. But he thanks somebody every single day. So I met somebody down in San Diego this last year, um, and she was telling me about, you know, the power of gratification and stuff. And she told me about like a thank you or a thankful journal. Mm-hmm. And she just sits in journals and talks about how thankful she is for this and that she lives by the ocean, that she is able to do what she loves. And some of the stuff would be stuff she doesn't have yet, some of the stuff she's done in the past, you know, stuff she wants and stuff. But I don't know, that, that kind of intrigued me. And so I started doing that. So I have a journal back at home, which I haven't written in for a while, but it's just a, a thankful journal of a bunch of uh, like speaking stuff into existence you know mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I signed a contract you know yep. months later I ended up doing that I'm thankful that I, I met this the person Vikings. yeah mm-hmm. all that so those are like affirmations and yeah. um, did I tell you the affirmation story that I have I mean it's not about me it's about that guy that I heard on podcast anyway I'm gonna tell it anyway so there was a guy who was going to like a hypnosis seminar and he met this girl there and she was like what do you think of this and he's like i don't know whatever whatever and she said well what about affirmations do you do affirmations and he's like i don't even know what those are and so she goes oh you just write down whatever you want and you write it down you know over and over and over and over again every day until you get it and he's like whatever i'll try it and so he kind of is like jerking around and he writes down i am a six and i'm gonna go on a date with an eight and a half and like that's he's like ranking girls by their number or whatever and so he says that and he writes it down and then a week later he goes on this date with a girl who he considers to be an eight and a half and she approached him and was like let's go out and he goes okay 
squash that. Like, I didn't do it right, whatever. Like, this is... I probably am a much better looking than I think. You know, there's some error in it. So he does it two more times. And both times he does it and it's kind of, like, playful. You know, it's not real serious. But he gets both things that he wants. And so he goes, all right, it's time to get serious about this. So he writes down, I want to be a world-renowned comic or like comic strip artist or whatever and that's the guy who created Dilbert so and then I mean it was like I don't know a year later I think is when he like broke out on the scene or something so I mean that's not statistical evidence it's anecdotal but I think it is evidence well I mean I have evidence of that too like and that's this is something that I didn't know I was doing because I I was just thought you know I was writing down goals and stuff way back when but I remember back home, I was cleaning out my room. My parents were turning into an office or whatever, so I had to go through all these different drawers, and I found just like a little notebook, and I wrote in it, you know, I want to live in California. I want to, there was, I can't remember the three things on it. On it. I want to visit, I want to visit Arizona. I want to travel to a different country, all that kind of stuff, and I was looking at it, and this is four years later. I forgot, completely forgot I wrote it. I don't know if it was in college or high school or what, but I was just like, wow, I did this three years and I can literally check all these off within this past year. Um, That's so crazy. I thought that was something super cool. There's a, a book called The Five Minute Journal and it kind of combines all of those things. So at the top it has like some type of motivational quote and then every seven days it has like a, a call to action and it might be like call a friend you haven't talked to in a while or give somebody a hug today or whatever the, the thing is. But it's only every seven days and then otherwise it's... Um, like a motivational quote and then it says list three things that you're grateful for list three things that would make today awesome and then your affirmations and then you are supposed to check back in at the end of the night that say like um what name three amazing things that happened and then what is one thing like one thing that I could have done better or something and it has to be something like that's within your control because they at the beginning of the book they kind of tell you how to do it and so you would say things like I wish I wouldn't have flipped out on that driver in front of my kids you know and then you're consciously aware of that and then you can you know you're like aware of it right before you go to bed and then there's some people who say that if you put something into your brain before you go to bed that your subconscious will work on it like while you're sleeping. sleeping I've done a lot of hypnosis stuff like that. Yeah. Subconscious training. Yep. So um, then they say that you will automatically, you know, be thinking about how to be better at that going forward and whatever. So that's kind of a cool thing that I use. And it's hard to keep up with it every day, but I'll go in spurts. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of spurty about that too. Mm -hmm. Because like I'll I'll hear about that or I'll learn about that. So I'll be gung-ho about it for a couple months. And then you're on to the next thing. And then I hear something else. It's like, oh, that sounds super cool too. And then you (laughs) kind of forget about the first thing. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to do all of the things because you want to do There's like so many things you want to do. The gratitude and the meditation, and then you want to be reading the books, and then you want to be doing the podcast, and then you want to be teaching the classes, and then you want to, you know, like it's there's a lot. There's a lot, especially when you have a husband and a baby that need to be taken care of. See, I have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Except that you're very busy playing football. Yeah, but at the same time, I have so much time. Right. Well, so when does um, like rookie camp start? Um, OTA starts on Monday, actually. Whoa, what is OTA? It's off-season training. Oh, okay. Um, organized team activities is what it stands for. But the whole t- team kind of gets together and we'll do lifting and meetings, and then we'll get into lifting and meetings and practice, and then eventually get into lifting meetings and, like, 
I don't, I guess the first set of practices is kind of like skill work. You're not going up against a defense or anything. Right. The third phase is like actual practice and stuff. Cool. All right. Well, we're almost at a hour and a half, so we better cut this thing off <laughs> so he can go on his ride along. Right. Unless you had anything else. Nope. But anytime I recruiting wise or anything like that, I always ask, is there anything that, I mean, yeah, there you wh- go, open mic. What can we do for you? Yeah. Anything you need, anything else you want to get off your chest, anything else you want to say, pass along, mm-hmm. words of wisdom. No, like I said, if you get me started on this, because I heard you talking about frequency earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's something I got introduced to recently. So I'm still kind of learning about that. And you're asking if I listen to podcasts. And so I was starting to learn about frequencies and vibrations and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could go on for hours about this kind of stuff. So, I love it. But, so do you want the, uh, like, recommendations for podcasts and stuff about yeah. frequencies? Yeah. Um, it's called The Abundance Project. And it's this guy who wrote a book. But he talks heavily about the quantum theory of emergence in the podcast. In their short episodes, like 30 minutes probably. And he does a really good job of... Because he's trying to promote his book when he does it. So he does the whole spiel. And then he does a little bit about that chapter. And then like the next one, he kind of like goes over the, the heavy material again. Because it's tough to absorb. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're talking about physics and the Big Bang Theory and atoms and energy and whatever. And then he talks a little bit about... So it's like 20 minutes of recap and then 10 minutes of that chapter. And then there's like 9 or 10 episodes or whatever. So... My goal for the podcast is to, when I release the podcast into the world, to have, like, show notes that will, like, anything cool that we talked about, we'll link to it. So, like, the Kobe Bryant conversation, I'll link to the YouTube video. Or the Will Smith treadmill thing, I'll link to the video. Everything that I can find. So, if I talk about the Abundance Project, I want to link to that that podcast or whatever. So, hopefully you'll be able to find it there. I will not be giving you the huddle link. The uh, only because I'm somewhat selfish. My wife knows this. Like, did you ever answer the question of the Wilts moment? <laughs> no, because what? it was too put on the spot. Like, I need, I need like days because I, I could say moments, but it won't be my favorite one. Well, just think of a good one. Let's let's end the Brandon Zilstra podcast talking about Aaron Wilts. That seems really appropriate. <laughs> See, I don't like to be put on the spot like that, though. Well, how about this? This seems like a good way to require Brandon to record another episode. Come back and do another podcast. You know, I'd be down for that. You can bring one of your favorite football friends, or we can like do a Zoom where it's like the two of us and then the two of you guys. Well, I have I'd ask because I was already thinking about having Bryant do this with you guys because this is something he'd be, you know, super excited about I think okay. um, and he has a completely different life experience you know he's 25 and here he has three kids and oh, wow. he's gave up a ton to get to where he's at and so he has a pretty cool interesting story too and he has a little a little twist on everything so. sweet cool well we'll we'll leave it there then so thank you for coming Brandon I really appreciate, I appreciate it you having me. okay But I mean, I have questions. Hundred percent, my hype guy. Oh my god, I can't believe that you know what that is. That makes me so happy. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you heard something that you want more information about, you can visit trainingforlife.com. That's L-Y-F-E. And on that website, we have links to our guest social media accounts. We have links to some of the things that we talked about during the show. And then we also have a place where you can sign up for the newsletter so that you get reminded every time a new episode is released. And then you can also go to your iTunes player and subscribe to the podcast there. And if you really enjoyed it, you can leave a review. We would appreciate that as well. Until next time, thanks for listening.